Thank you all so much for uh, letting me do this again. Uh, it's a great privilege to be with you and a great privilege to uh, see everybody and to proclaim God's word. Uh, that's the one I really, really don't deserve. Um, but I'm thankful to get to talk about amazing things from God's word. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1 uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, John chapter 1. I'll, I'll read all 18 verses of this introduction of the Gospel of John. And we will be dealing with verses 1 through 5 today. And next Sunday we'll be dealing with verses 14 through 18. So the beginning and the end. Not that the middle is bad or anything. It's wonderful. It just I just can be here two times. So those are the two sections we'll, we'll deal with. So John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would give us grace and mercy to understand your word, to understand what is being said, but Lord, to embrace it, uh, to be moved and changed by it. Lord, to be in awe of the God revealed here. Uh, Lord, to believe all the more in all that you've come to do for us so that our lives might more and more take the shape of the character and life of Jesus Christ, 
that we might shine into the darkness. Lord, we pray that you would bless us in this hour, for we are weak and helpless. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, sometimes a book or uh, an extensive paper uh, will have what is called a precy, it's spelled P-R-E-C-I-S, right? But a precy which gives a capsule of the whole work, right? It's a distillation of the whole point of the book. It's the book in a nutshell. And one through 18 is the precy to the book of John. Uh, it's like an overture that contains all the themes and uh, snatches of song that you'll hear in a musical. One of the most famous is Leonard Bernstein's overture to Candide, which is a, a rowdy little piece that you should listen to sometimes. Um, but this also is to make you want to read more. And John here wants our jaws to drop to the floor basically and say, I gotta hear more about this. So that right here in these 18 verses, there's this capsule that, that holds you and captivates you so that you want to read the whole thing. And this beginning of John actually, as you can probably tell, looks back to the very beginning of the Bible. In fact, when the Hebrews translated into the Greek, you have the very same words that John uses here in Arche, in, in the beginning. But in Genesis, you get right to creation. But here, you don't get to creation till verse three. So what's going on in his description of what's uh, of in the beginning? He definitely wants us to think about Genesis and creation, but it's as though he's saying, this time, before we talk about God creating the world, we're gonna talk about the God who created the world, right? So instead of in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. He's saying there was already a story going on before the story of creation began. Genesis took you all the way to the back fence of creation. I'm taking you to that back fence and we're gonna look at the valley that goes beyond what you can see. We're gonna look out that way. And so at the time of creation, in the beginning, there was already one called the Word and this Word was in relationship to God. That's the first thing he wants us to know. In this first verse, John's in the beginning is referring to something then behind and beyond uh, Genesis, what I would call the always had been relationship, the eternal relationship between the word and God. And when it says he was with God, there are a couple of regular words you use to say I'm with someone, but this is an intense word to say uh, you're with someone. Uh, this would mean that you're toward someone or that you are uh, facing someone. You're in their presence, even against someone. It has that powerful idea. So that John is saying at the time of creation, the word had been in close and intimate relationship uh, with God from eternity. 
As Jesus prayed in John 17, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's an extension of this, right? Before the world began, the word had glory with God. And later, <coughs> Jesus prays, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So yes, with him in, intimate, uh, in intimacy, in glory, and in mutual love. This was there before creation. And remember, this is supposed to enthrall us and capture us to read. So we're, we're like, wait, this, <coughs> excuse me, this person, the word you're describing <clears throat> was already with God? What are you talking about? Who is this pre-existing word? <clears throat> I'm so sorry, I've got an allergy <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'll be better. <clears throat> Just a minute. I have to be better to finish this, right? <clears throat> but that's why uh, a few times, <clears throat> well, in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only a couple of times did Jesus say, I was sent. <clears throat> but 40 times in John, he says, I was sent. But that ties in to this statement. He was with God, and now you keep hearing, he was sent by God because he was with God. <clears throat> but he's not through blowing my mind here, right? So already we're dealing with the being that was with God before the world uh, was created. <clears throat> but then he says he was with God, he was God. And this is a staggering thing for a Jew to say who is a monotheist, who believes in one God. And now he's saying the word is God and the word is the fellow of God. Amazing, staggering thing to say. And we don't know the whole story and how it's going to unfold yet, but this is the first thing he wants us to know about this story that's gonna unfold in John, that there is differentiation within the one God. This is a staggering, never before said thing in the history of the world, uh, of any idea of there being one God. He's saying there is a relationship within the true God and I want you to be staggered by that before I even get started. And that's the point of repeating it. Verses uh, one and two could read kind of like this. <clears throat> this one I said, who's in the beginning with God, well, he also is God. And then he says, this one who I've just said is God, he is also with God. Thank you. I'll pay you later. Thank you. <clears throat> we need a cup holder up here, by the way. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. So, <clears throat> he is God and the fellow of God. This is where we start. Then we get to creation in verse three. All this is about this relationship 
that was there and how important it is that we grasp this relationship and the nature of it before we get started. Now, as he talks about creation, I'm going to refer you to Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 if you want to hear a little bit about the Father and the Son and how they relate in creation. But here it's just about the Word. It's about what He has done, that He is the one who made the world. And this follows, your natural question would be, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, if He is God, then He, yes, yes, you got it. He created the world if He is God. So it's just continuing to yellow highlight the fact that I'm serious about what I said. This is God. And here he recasts Genesis 1 of God's creation to give us a bit of uh, behind the scenes. That the direct agent in this is the word. That the one directly responsible, the one who directly specifically accomplished it is the word. He made every particle of this universe, as John underscores, without him, nothing was made that was made. So he didn't have a minor role. He, he, he had a major, the major role in creation so that every crab and every comet and every feather and every eye and every flower and every raindrop and every stalagmite and every praying mantis and every atom and every galaxy is stamped made by the word. Oh, that's glorious. He made everything. And you remember what Genesis says that the earth was without form uh, was empty or void and darkness was over the face of the earth. Uh, and so it had no form, it had no life, it had no light. And that's why verse four, he immediately goes to light and life. You see, he's still ranging through creation. He, he's still thinking about creation. And so he filled the void with life. He filled the darkness with light. He says, in him was light, uh, life. And this directly follows from his creating all things. He had the ultimate unlimited power of life. Only because there is life in the word, Leon Morris says, is there life in anything else in the earth at all. You understand? Only because in him is life. Does anything have life? And so when we see, you know, the glorious shape of a starling flock, you know, ranging, in, in him is their life. Their life is in him. It's like Paul said to uh, those he was speaking to in Athens that in him we live and move and have our being. And it's not just human beings, it's everything living has its life in him, in the word, the word. But of course this word life, it certainly has to refer to creation because that's what he's been talking about. But it, and John does this often, he has double meanings in what he says. And so he certainly, 
talking about the new spiritual life that Christ brings to his people. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of new creation as well. And he describes it usually in John as eternal life and defines it in John 17, three, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's how eternal life is defined. It's who you know, who you are in fellowship with, with God himself, his son, through his son. And it's beautifully put uh, by Jesus in John 6, 51, where he says, uh, I am the living bread that has come out of heaven and he who partakes of me has eternal life. He is life, come for us. He is the new life that includes forgiveness and transformation and fellowship with God and the favor of God. That's what new life is spiritually. And then there's this blending of light and life. And you see it uh, in that he says this life was the light of men and that can be confusing, but it's just bringing these two glorious aspects of salvation together. As Jesus later says in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You see the relationship. Light and life, you could say. So you see, light reveals the beauty of God to us, the goodness and love of God. Love and and then life brings us into a relationship so that we can actually receive that goodness and love and know that goodness and love. So light reveals this glorious God and life enables us to experience this glorious God. He is light and life to the world. And when he says darkness here, this last verse, and yes, we're getting close to the end because we're in the last verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness here is not really speaking directly of us, Because in the New Testament, in John, uh, we are pitted against the darkness. We have a relationship to the darkness. So really darkness here stands for the evil forces or evil force that dominate us and govern us and enslave us. So Later in chapter three, verse 19, it says men loved the darkness rather than the light. So you see men have this this love of this or this hatred of that. They must follow him so they don't walk in the darkness. They must walk in the light lest darkness overtake them in chapter 12. So you see, we have this We are in the darkness, we are slaves of the darkness, but we can escape the darkness because the light has come to us. In fact, we actually participate in this darkness, we live in it and we manifest it. So much so that Paul can say in Ephesians 5, you were darkness. 
That's how much we are governed by nature, by the evil that is in this world. We've become a part of it by nature. And it's surprising here when he says the darkness has not overcome it. It's a past tense. And the the aorist is a a one-time event. So it's speaking about something that happened. It probably still is referring to uh, the creation itself. And we know there the darkness didn't overcome the light, but the light flooded the darkness, right? But I think it's also referring most particularly to the event of the cross. And at first we don't know what he's talking about. We just, this amazing statement where the darkness has not overcome it. So there's the idea of this colossal, monumental clash between the light and darkness and light wins. And it's as though he's saying, and that's coming up. (laughs) Keep reading. That is coming up where the light is not overcome by the darkness. And since the darkness is the evil powers that rule us, and especially the one evil power, Satan, that rules us, this to me ties in with what he says later on the eve of the cross, basically, in John chapter 12, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. You see, the darkness will not overcome the light the ruler of this world will be cast out. And here at the beginning of his magnificent story, John is saying, it's already happened. The light and the darkness have clashed and the darkness didn't overcome this light. Let me tell you about it. See, what an introduction. What, what a captivating beginning here. Well, I want to just end by one primary application, and that is how this one who is light and life, who is God himself, who created the world, can so powerfully transform our lives. This is a message of the greatest hope for we, uh, for us who are sinners. Now, some years ago, I saw a painting by Guillaume Chabrun, I've just massacred the French, but it looks like Guillaume Charles Brun, you know, but I think that's fairly close though, Guillaume Chabrun. Um, and it's a painting entitled The, the Young Rag Seller. And in this uh, captivating painting, this girl is sitting looking at the camera and she's got a box of, uh, a basket of rags behind her And then in her hand, she has this small pole rod with a sharp sharp end to it, a metal piece by which she picks up the rags. And in the 1800s, this was an important thing because rags were valuable because they were recycled as paper. And they estimate that there were maybe 15,000 rag pickers in Paris alone, perhaps 100,000 over the whole of Europe in medieval times. And you kind of see where this is going, but perhaps you and I were rags by nature, filthy 
stained, used up, lost. We were in darkness, right? And by nature, we do not consistently, constantly reflect the beauty of God's glad, other-focused, self-sacrificing love that sadly rarely describes anyone. And we never on our own would be able to live with him forever. But God draws us to himself through Jesus Christ. He reveals his great love for us in Christ. And as we entrust ourselves to him, we entrust ourselves to him because he is the one who has died in our place. He paid the penalty that we deserved. He bore away the punishment that we deserved. And he cleanses us and he associates us with himself. He joins himself to us, himself to us and clothes us with his righteousness so that now God sees us only in him. And so we rags become these clean sheets of paper in the sight of God. He knows very well all the things that are still wrong with us. But he, he's not blind to our brokenness, but he loves us in him and he has full favor on us just like he has favor in his son because we are joined to him. And so he takes unlimited delight in us. We are his workmanship, Paul says, his art piece, his clean sheet of paper. And there's this wonderful analogy Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3. Listen to how he describes the Corinthian Christians in the first part of that chapter. You are a letter from Christ written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. There it is. You're God's new letter as God writes on your heart with his Holy Spirit. Now, there are uh, hundreds of tidbits of happiness I have from living with my precious wife, Kay. Um, I warned her, you get a shout out today. Uh, she says, I'm going down in the steam room then. So anyway, um, but this one little expression of her wonderful childlike uh, uh, delight in creation and, and uh, in her enjoyment of life, she will pull out, let's say, a pad of paper uh, to scribble, draw, write, whatever, a list. And if it has anything on it, I mean, it could be a mark, probably could be even a dot, anything. She tears it off so she has a clean sheet of paper, right? And then the thing I love is she'll, she'll tear that off, and before she writes a word, she has to rub that clean sheet of paper, you know. I've got to enjoy the paper that I get to write on right now. And that's a wonderful picture of what God does with you, you used to be rag you. <laughs> You're his clean sheet of paper and he rubs his hand over his new fresh sheet of paper 
you're in his hands to write beautiful things, new and different things that haven't been written, that couldn't have ever been written, except that he has taken hold of your life. And so a growing energy to serve him, he gives it because in him is life. A growing love for all kinds of people and hard to love people whom you just can't love. In him is life. A new love for, for prayer, a new desire for worship and for the word. To give yourself to the afflicted gladly, sacrificially. In him is life. Because he is the one who made this world. He brings light and life. He enters into the darkness. And the darkness, the darkness didn't win. And the darkness doesn't have to win over you. Because you're in Christ. And you're part of this one who conquers the darkness. And it will manifest itself in your life. We read in John 1 here that he gave the right. It's the word authority. He gave the right. He, Jesus, the word, gave the right to become the children of God. There was nothing in us that warranted this. We have no inerrant ability. We have no worthiness. He gives us this new status. He gives us this new authorization. He desires to give it. He gives it. No one can take it away from us because he gives it. And it's for anyone who receives, anyone who helplessly rests in him. It's for the helpless and the lost and the very bad and the very needy. He has given anyone and will give anyone the authority to be a child of God who is bearing the image of God. And so, brothers and sisters, in this time of Christmas, remember that this baby in the manger is about this word that made the world, that was with God and is God, coming to earth to bring life and light into the darkness. I would close with the beautiful words of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. And God's people said, amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank you and praise you that you, the God of all the earth, you, the creator of all things, you, who is with God, came from God, sent by God, to bring life to us who were dead, to bring light to us who were blind. So beautifully pictured in raising Lazarus from the dead and giving the blind man sight, taking up those two great chapters in John, you are light and life. And you are light and life to us. We must have your light. We must have your life 
continually, day by day, throughout the, all of our days. And oh Lord, you give yourself so freely to us. We praise you and thank you for such love that would lay down your life for poor sinners so that we could receive eternal life, eternal treasure, and live with you forever in the new creation. We honor you and pray that you would draw all people to yourself in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.